We're back. Another edition of Kevin's Corner here as we close out the month of January. I'm Kevin Bowen. Eddie Garrison is with me. And you know, so far, Eddie, as we thought, it was a very quiet month of January for the Colts. Not a lot of news items to note. We'll get into a couple of those staff changes that they made on today's pod, but, you know, again, if you're going to rank the 32 NFL teams and the quietness of an offseason, the Colts have got to rank near the top of that list. Very welcome. It means there's some sort of stability in order, and I would say that's fair to describe the Colts. Uh, Mr. Garrison, how are you on this Wednesday morning? Hopefully we'll get back into the Monday routines. Apologies for me on that. Doing well. Uh, How about you? How's the fam doing? I'm good. Fam is good. Yeah, we are... uh, yeah, we're healthy and Max Bowen. We gotta get. We gotta do a Super Bowl helmet pick, right, for Max Bowen? Oh yeah, must. A couple red helmets, right? Yes. Well, red in this, them, I guess, for the 49ers would be the better way to describe. Do that. you have the bronze or whatever color that is they go with? Yeah, I do. Now that I think about it, um, boy, these are two helmets he hasn't seen. Now that I think about it, Colts did not play either of these two teams this season. Um, yeah, the Chiefs, it's the all-red, of course. And then, yeah, the the 49ers, I believe it is that that color. Obviously, I'm excited for it. We'll probably talk a little bit more Super Bowl next week. I, I do want to get into a couple Twitter questions so we can kind of go down this path. of. I think if you look at Kansas City and San Francisco, you know, Kansas City, it, it, it's a budding dynasty. I, I, there's no way around it. San Francisco, it's a damn impressive multiple-year run. I think that's how I would look at these two. Um, how did they get there? They both took aggressive moments with rookie contract quarterbacks and helped their building with that in different ways. And obviously Kansas City's now looks a lot different with how they're starting to pay Mahomes than San Francisco's. But still, um, that is something uh, that I think is worth bringing up as the Colts are in a position now to try and do that here beginning this offseason with another couple on the horizon. I do want to start with the Pro Bowl. Did you get invited? <laughs> you know, seeing the announcement, I um, it honestly harkened back to my swings and misses back at prom. You know, you know, mm. just hoping I I really could have benefited from the Pro Bowl system of a ah. alternate to get into the Pro Bowl. Uh, yeah, again, I've always tried to provide context with the Pro Bowl in that the original selection means something. I don't think it means as much as All-Pro, just like I think with the NBA. All-NBA, to me, means more than you get in the All-Star game. Um, I think the alternate list, though, and who gets in off of that is the real joke of the process. Oh, yeah. And obviously, if somehow you're living under a rock, DeForest Buckner and Ryan Kelly get in uh, yesterday due to, what, Creed Humphrey and Chris Jones Mm -hmm. making the Super Bowl, then Gardner Minshew gets in as a quarterback. So, Eddie... In 10 years, when Gardner Minshew and Zaire Franklin go back to their respective high schools <laughs> and they get announced at their respective high schools and, you know, the principal takes the mic and, you know, and they're feeling all great and everything. All right, he was our school record holder in passing yards and he's a Pro Bowl quarterback, Gardner Minshew. And then at Zaire Franklin's high school, you know, he's our school's all-time leading tackler. He's a really good NFL player, Zaire Franklin. Just because the Chiefs won and then X amount of quarterbacks said no – and the Ravens lost, 
and no linebackers decided to not go to the Pro Bowl. I, I just think when you get into the alternates, it's so stupid in that Zaire Franklin, because the Ravens, with Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen, two linebackers, because they lost, he doesn't become a Pro Bowler off the alternate list. But because the Chiefs won and Lamar Jackson decided to say no as well and a million Josh Allen would rather play in Pebble Beach at the PGA Tour event this week. And Trevor Lawrence is having off-season Trevor Lawrence is hurt. Surgery. And I, hell, I, I, I would have voted Joe Flacco in. In all seriousness, if you're going to go way down the list, you know, Herbert's obviously been hurt, and I, I don't know. I thought Russell Wilson had a halfway decent year. Maybe I was wrong on that. Uh, I mean, hell, didn't Mason Rudolph start a pro, start a playoff game? Uh, Gardner Minshew goes in the Pro Bowl. It, it, like, there's just a level of, I think, you have to stop the alternate list at some point. Like, once you get past three or four, the Pro Bowl game doesn't matter, folks. Mm-hmm. It's flag football. You don't need to have an X amount of play. You don't need three QBs in the game. Just because almost, if you're going to act like the Pro Bowl is credible, these moments of Gardner Minshew or Tyler Huntley last year, mm-hmm. that loses credibility for the Pro Bowl. Um, and I, you know, a lot of people are like, who cares? It's the Pro Bowl. Like, I, I stopped caring years ago. And Mitchell Trubisky a few years ago was a yeah, Pro Bowl quarterback, I, just, too. At some point, you got to earn the alternate spot, too, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't just, and, you know, Minshew was not originally announced as an alternate, you know, back when the. Pro Bowl rosters initially came out. The Colts did have four of them. They had Buckner, they had Kelly, Michael Pittman, and Zaire Franklin there. So, yeah, it's just you know, I and I know Zaire Franklin's pissed, and as he as he should be, but the process just is so stupid to me, so stupid to me. So yeah, reminded me of me at prom. Are you going to watch? We got a skills competition, right? Don't they do the tic tac toe with the kickers? Mm-hmm. I saw they're doing a long snapper thing. Really? And then use the centers too. So I guess Ryan Kelly's going to have to do that. Like you, you, huh? Your snap accuracy, and then what? On game day, we go flag football, which is just seven on seven, pretty much. And then we'll get a, uh, we'll get what? Tug of war for the big dudes. Don't they do an obstacle course? If I remember, they correctly? do something like that. Yeah. They remove like weights off a wall, and then I think they push that. I think at some. Point. I miss the days in which they did. They had the footballs with like the blue chalk at the end, and they'd have to hit the bullseye targets, ah. and then they have the the deep throw. All the, see how far they can throw it down the field. I miss those days. Well, and, and you know the other thing that I actually really enjoyed. I I liked watching the dodgeball last year. Oh yeah. So that'll be on Thursday. Um, so Thursday you'll get the skills, the dodgeball. I think there's a little golf element, which I love, close to the pen. I remember they did that with a few guys. Oh yeah, last year. And, you know, precision passing. I meant you actually would probably be pretty good at that. Um, and then the kicker, tic tac toe, and everything. And Sunday will be the flag football game and the big dudes doing the tug of war and all that other stuff. Uh, we've probably talked enough about the Pro Bowl. I did want to sneak in the couple staff changes. Again, not a lot. I, I thought there would you know, be a couple. And what, we still have two more coaching jobs that are open, right? Washington and Seattle as we record mm-hmm. this. So we'll see if any domino effect happens off of that. But Nate Ollie, the D-line coach, Mike Mitchell, the safety, uh, I, I guess safety coach is what you would call him. I don't know if technically it probably was like assistant DBs is what his title was. Someone texted me like, yeah, this is just putting a Band-Aid on a bullet hole if you've got issues with with Gus Bradley. Um, I do think it's worth noting this. Gus Bradley has two dudes on his defensive staff that he's been with pretty much at every stop. That's Ron Milas and Richard Smith. Those two guys are staying. Mm -hmm. So the two guys that weren't mainstays with him, 
Nate Alley on the D-line and Mike Mitchell in the secondary, those are the two that are leaving. So, you know, if you're looking at the Gus Bradley tree, if you will, the voices he's most used to hearing, the voices that are most used to listening to him, they're staying at linebacker coach in Richard Smith and Ron Milas, the DB coach. Um, you know, I think if you look at D-line and safety, Eddie, you could point to you've invested a lot draft-wise. Much more in the D-line, but still safety, a couple third-round picks, and even Rodney Thomas was a draft selection. And so I think there was some player development question questions at both of those spots there. Um, so yes, not earth-shattering by any means, but probably just a couple of things to note as we go through the logistics of the offseason. Now they haven't announced who is replacing those coaches yet, or if they will, well, they'll have to replace Ollie, but... Yeah, and I assume they will replace Mike Mitchell as well. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's Senior Bowl week. Shane Steich and Chris Bauer both down there. We know the Colts have had, you know, a heavy, heavy focus on the Senior Bowl. I think six of their 13 picks from last year were Senior Bowl products. You know, it was a big, you know, it was a big moment for Bernard Ryman at the Senior Bowl to kind of show, okay, you can, you know, handle uh, an uptick in competition there. Um so yeah, we'll see where the announcement is. Certainly the D-line coach would probably be more of the focus there. You know, safeties you definitely need to develop, and we'll see about Julian Blackman. Uh, but D-line-wise, again, consistent pressure is a must, and you know, D-line could have some new faces, you know, in that Grover Stewart is a free agent, how they handle that, and uh, Kenny Moore and Julian Blackman, some of those other free agent names like we talked about in last week's podcast. We'll see how all of that plays out. Uh, anything more on the staff news no i don't have anything else dad life is full of things to manage your work your family your plans and your treatment consider kesimpta ofatumumab 20 milligram injection you can take it yourself from the comfort of home if you're ready for something different ask your healthcare provider about kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com brought to you by novartis pharmaceuticals corporation what I wanted to focus on today's pod is this, Eddie. Preseason-wise, you and I did a podcast right before training camp mm-hmm. and laid out six answers the Colts must find this season. Um, and again, the answers didn't necessarily all need to be like great answers. They just needed to find them because you had decisions to make on some guys. You needed to kind of move on uh, if need be from them. But you needed to find those answers and I wanted to go through on today's podcast and look back on those six things and find out um, exactly how they went about finding those answers. Number one, growing hope for Anthony Richardson. You know, this is a bit complicated, um, but I think you, if you just focus on the growing hope, that was the phrase I used. I think you exit 2023 and have growing hope, right? Certainly. Like, even if his sample size was really small. Like, even if the playing time was shorter than really anybody wanted. um, I think there is some hope. Like, you feel if you eliminated the play time and just focused on the plays itself, you know, if you could only show me 173 snaps, I would say I am encouraged. Now, as soon as the film session went off, I'd be like, wait. Where were the road games? Wait, where were the fourth quarter reps? Where were the two-minute moments? Like, I'd be like, left wanting more. And again, that's encouraging because you were encouraged by him in his playtime. But also, 
you want to see the ones that you ultimately grade these quarterbacks on. You know, at some level, you know, whatever. Baker Mayfield is a similar quarterback to Patrick Mahomes for a couple of quarters if you're watching a game. They can have, you know, some nice drives. They can have some nice moments. But um, at some point, you get to a point where you've got to deliver when the game really, really matters in the most critical moments of the season. But I do think growing hope, yeah, the play was promising. It's just disappointing that you didn't get to see more of it. Yeah, certainly. Didn't get to experience some of the things that C.J. Stroud was able right, to experience right. that, you know, win or go home. Exactly. Final game of the year. And just, you know, we know how much Benedict Mathern for the Pacers circles games on the schedule when he faces guys drafted around him. You know what? He got the one half against Stroud. Yeah. That was it. And played great, you know, for the one, I guess not even a half, for the quarter plus. But, yeah, I mean, facing Bryce Young and facing C.J. Stroud and even Will Levis and – um, you know, those sorts of things. Facing Max Crosby. Yeah, yeah. Facing great, great defensive ends. TJ Watt, yeah. Guys hit you early in the game, you have to respond to that. And sure, the Rams game is probably the best example of it. But still, you want to see more of it. You want to see more of it outside of your building. But yeah, growing hope, I would say that answer is there. Obviously, there's more answers to be had, though, with truly defining Anthony Richardson. Number two, Pillar Trench positions. Let's start with the guy you were just talking about. A couple years ago, he had a nice senior bowl, Bernard Ryman. He is developing nice at left tackle in what, just his like third or fourth year at the position, right, Kevin? Yeah, so he was a tight end his first two years at Central Michigan, then transitioned to tackle after that. Basically, what we laid out, Eddie, at the start of the year was pillar trench positions. Bernard Ryman at left tackle and Quiddy Pay defensive end. I exit 2023, and maybe I'm a hair premature on this, but I exit 2023 feeling very good about Bernard Ryman at left tackle moving forward. And the bonus on it is, what, he makes barely over a million dollars the next couple years? Now, if you play the game like you have played it, you'll probably extend him after this third season before Mm -hmm. the end of year four, uh, or going into year four, I should say, before that rookie contract comes up, but... Yeah, I, I think you got to feel encouraged. I mean, sure, there are a couple of moments with some elite guys you'd like to have back. And, you know, I thought Atlanta in particular really put some power guys on him. And that was always a question. It was how would he handle power? You know, the footwork is there to handle speed. How would he handle power? And I, I just love how he's wired. I, I, I really, I, he reminds me a lot of Costanzo. You know, they're not the exact same mold, but I just think they work how you want them to. And they're very solid players. So I feel very good about that. I, I cannot say the same thing for Quiddy Pay. I know some people will fall on the sacks numbers and think, no, the arrow's pointing up, blah, blah, blah. I think there are other numbers to point to that are a little more accurate that describe the lack of consistent pressure from him. And again, if I'm drafting a guy at 21, Eddie, if I'm paying a dude, what is it, $13 million, I think is his team option. Yep. Coming up and uh, you got to pick that up by uh, May, the first week of May, you can't just be Jabal Sheard. You can't just be, you know, John Simon. You know, that, you know, hey, really nice run defender, can play three downs, and then gets high effort sacks. I need more if I'm drafting a dude in round one. I oh, need yeah. more if I'm paying him, you know, in the teens of millions of dollars there. So I did not get that answer. Um, I did not get that from him. Um, now, Again, the premium positions, Eddie, and you brought up Houston earlier. I mean, if you look at quarterback and left tackle and edge rusher and corner and wideout, 
they kind of check all those boxes. Mm-hmm. That's the goal for the Colts, and I think you can check Ryman. I can't check DN. I can't check edge rusher right now with Pay. Again, there are a lot of nice things he does on early downs, but uh, I can't go there just yet, and that's why when I start to rank offseason needs and I start to talk about the future, I still put edge rusher very high, if not at the top of the list. I mean, you know, right now, you know, we had Michael Lombardi on our morning show today, and he was talking about the Super Bowl with us, and he said the biggest question mark for him going into that game is, will San Francisco's front four play like San Francisco's front four? Oh, yeah. They have not felt that yet in the postseason. That's what you got to have. When you play these elite QBs, at some point, you need your guys, your front four, to play like that. Because with Mahomes' ability to scramble, they need Fred Warner and D. Greenlaw in space to account for that. They obviously need to attribute multiple guys to Travis Kelsey. Like, yeah. You don't want to have to send six or seven on a consistent basis because these QBs are too damn good, mm-hmm. uh, especially when you're playing January into February. Yes on Ryman, no right now on pay. What are your thoughts on this? I've seen some people suggest this. Uh, move Braden Smith into right guard and then swing Bra- uh, Bernard Ryman to right tackle and then you draft a left tackle or you draft a tackle and make him the next right guard or no, right tackle. No, I'm no. Um, I'm right there with you. Just something I've yeah, seen out there it, floated about. Yeah, it just seems like too much of a luxury. And I'm again, Braden Smith hasn't played a right guard in years now. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're going way back, and at least routinely, he did have a couple of snaps there. Was it last year? Yeah, gosh, was it last year? I don't know. I try to get that season out of my head. Um, yeah, I just again, it, to me, you're 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 taking away a guarantee, and you're hoping for two guarantees. Yep, and, and that just worries me there. And again, it's no guarantee that Ryman would be a great right tackle. I mean, you're asking him to do. Totally different footwork, and, and I get that it's a very deep offensive tackle draft class by yeah. all accounts, so that's probably some of the reason there, but yeah, I would say no on that. At the halfway point, we're talking about the defense still. Number three on your answers that the Colts needed this season, Pro Bowl defenders are still there. Kenny Moore had a terrific year for Indianapolis, as did Zaire Franklin. EJ Speed also had a really good year as well. Yeah, and this one for me came down to the two big name side of the building guys entering contract questions coming off poor years. And that would be Kenny Moore and that would be Shaq Leonard. Those are the two at the start of the year. Again, are your Pro Bowl defenders still there? You know, Kenny has been a Pro Bowler. Shaq has undoubtedly been a Pro Bowler. And my previous answer, Eddie, was, you know, yes on Ryman, no right now on pay. This one is even more obvious. I think Kenny Moore played at a solid probably whatever that like notch below a pro bowler is just a hair below a pro bowler mm-hmm. i would say he played at that level i mean he was almost an all pro this past season mm-hmm. um so I, I i think he got back to a better than acceptable level for you at a very critical spot obviously the shack leonard situation played out like we all saw it no i mean yeah no way so um you got answers, which, again, it might not be the right answers you wanted, but it's answers that you need to get. You need to find answers as quickly as possible, which can't always be the case, but you need to find those so when you know enough is enough, you cut your losses and you move on. And that's what they've done with Leonard, obviously, in a very 
you know, notable, notable way. And then with Kenny Moore, now you probably look at it and think, all right, stability, playmaking, position of need. Leadership. Leadership. We probably want to bring him back. Now, he's a guy. Ironically enough, it's one dude off the side of the building and it's another dude on, right? Shaq's off and Kenny's on. So, <laughs> yeah. um, again, your Pro Bowl defenders, they've been such mainstays for the Chris Ballard era. Would they get back to that level? I think Kenny really, really close to it. You feel good about that? Obviously, Shaq did not. Number four, big question at some portions of the season, and especially leading into the year, first-year head coach, also doing the play calls. Number four on your list was Shane Steichen's plate. Yeah, and I think for the most part, Shane checked this box. It's never going to be perfect for a head coach and for a play caller. Um, Dan Campbell, prime example. Right. There's going to be a moment or two. But, again, I I would say for the most part, um, you got what you wanted out of Shane handling an immense amount of responsibilities in in year one. I think you're highly encouraged about what you got from him and how that is going moving forward. What do you think of the Campbell stuff while we're on the head coaching? Thought it was the right decision. Both field goal – both – Bypassing the field goals were, were the correct moves? Um, Not the first one. Yeah, I have a bigger issue with the first one than the second one, which I don't know. I think you and I are kind of in the minority of that. Um, I'm a big believer in that context matters. It's a week-to-week league. Your opponent matters, who you play. I think if you go up 17, if Badgley hits that field goal, which, again, I know is no guarantee, uh, but I think it was a 45-yarder, I believe, was what it would have been. If he hits that 45-yarder there, uh, you now have made San Francisco abandon what they want to do. It's six minutes to go in the third quarter. Like, they can't stick to their normal stuff. They're one more mistake away from the game being over. Or you're one more good drive away from the game being over. Mm -hmm. If you stretch it to 17, um, you make – I mean, what's Kyle Shanahan's stat? Down 10-plus in the fourth quarter? Oh, he's like one in something. You, you now have made Fox put that graphic up on the screen. Like, that that now becomes a thing. Yeah. Of, okay, Brock Purdy, Kyle Shanahan, show us what you can do. You obviously put your O-line in a position they haven't been in a lot this season. And just their team. I mean, how many times has San Francisco been down 17 with, you know, whatever, midway point of the third quarter? So that one, to me, was the bigger issue. The fourth quarter at that point, I kind of got what Campbell was thinking there of a, all right, we need to score seven here because the likelihood of us stopping San Francisco again is probably slim to none. That field goal, I think, was a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. And and the last thing I'd say about the head coaching stuff, the biggest issue I thought Campbell made, Eddie, was running it on third and goal with a minute to go. You know, at that point in the game, you need two scores. And that's one where I didn't understand Campbell's rationale because he's such an analytical guy. The percentages of an onside kick are what? I don't know. Two percent? Wouldn't they have to have a kick and kick the onside kick either way? No. I looked at it as if you don't take the timeout, you score, you then have three timeouts of the minutes ago. So you could have kicked it deep, played the timeout game. Let's say there's what, forty two seconds on the clock, San Francisco punts from their own twenty, you get it at your thirty five, you have no timeouts. 35 seconds to go, you need to go 20, 30 yards to get in the field goal range. That, to me, is a better chance than getting the onside kick. Um, So I thought when he took 
when he ran it on third and goal, which that's where you got to get on the headset, and this is, goes back to the head coach thing. Uh-huh. You get on the headset with Ben Johnson once you get into goal-to-go situation, and it's less than two minutes to go, and you say, Ben, I know you might want to run it. We cannot get tackled in play. Because if we get tackled in play, we have to burn a timeout. Or we have to have a play immediately ready so we don't waste time. When you decided to run it, you risk being tackled in bounds. They were stuffed. That meant you called a timeout. That eliminated the possibility of you kicking it deep and playing the three-timeout game. That meant all your eggs in the 2% basket of onside kicks, and we saw how that went. So that was, if you want to look at those three situations, first field goal attempt, second field goal attempt, how they handled that goal to go there late. The goal to go was the biggest issue that I had. Can't forget about the um, missed opportunity to pin San Francisco at the one-yard line either. And again, there were several player errors. <laughs> like, obviously, Reynolds could have caught the ball on fourth and goal. You know, Gibbs and Goff run into each other. And you, you Goff brought missed up, Gibbs in the end zone. You brought up the you know opportunity to you know pin it at the one. I want to say there was a first down they had on one of those drives where they had pro, uh, Purdy swallowed up for a sack, and he escaped that. Uh, yeah, certainly there was a lot of that. But it, when you get into coaching, you get into what's on your plate, especially for Campbell as the CEO. Um, to me, I thought that was an issue there. Anything else to add on number four for the Colts no. on Steichen's plate? No, but- I, I, I think you exit feeling good. I mean, again, he's got to continue to just make sure to the nth degree you drill that home. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I think you feel good about it. This next one will be something you and I will monitor a lot, and I'm sure it's something we will talk about a lot, not only here on the podcast, but on the airways of, with you and Andy in the morning from 7 to 10, and, of course, on Corian Company from noon to 3 on 93.5107.5 The Fan Eastern Time, of course. Uh, that is the contract answer for Michael Pittman Jr. Yeah, and this is the one that would fall in the TBD category. Um Honestly, there's part of me that wants to put in the TBA category, like really to be announced because you know some stuff over there. I I, I feel very confident that Michael Pittman Jr. will be back. Now again, how does that look? That is where it's very much TBD. But I think franchise tag and then long term deal off of that. Um, I mean, who knows? You got some time right now to uh, try and figure out something long-term before it and potentially own, you know, continue to own the franchise tag. And I don't know, maybe use it somewhere else if you really, really wanted to. Um, So, yes, I feel like Michael Pittman Jr. has earned it. I think he feels good about how Shane Steichen utilized him. I think Shane Steichen feels good about how um, Pittman plays the game of football. And he means too much to you here. He means too much. And show me some significant upgrade. That you're going to make. Right. I'm still waiting for that. Okay? Mm-hmm. So for people out there that say, nope, I'm moving on from Pittman, okay, show me how you replace that. And like the likelihood of T. Higgins or Calvin Ridley or Mike Evans hitting free agency is pretty slim. Like we can hope for those names to be on the open market, but. Yeah, you can hope. And also you can say, how old is Mike Evans? And Calvin Ridley, is he going to check the important boxes of, you know, whatever it is, character, work ethic, leadership rapport with Anthony Richardson. You know, Michael Pittman stands for a lot of what you want to be about. And I do He's an think, Indiana guy too. I think that is important. Loves the outdoors here. Loves fishing. He's got a farm. He has very much embraced being here and 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 seems to really enjoy it. Um so again the how it looks 
Remains to be seen, but that's why Chris Boward and Mike Bloom and company, they get paid the big bucks of handling the contract and figuring it out and you know how much you throw uh, on a long-term deal and all of that stuff. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think he will be back. Certainly a complicated situation with him, too, because, of course, he's got the catches in the yards, not really so on the touchdowns right, and the yards right. per catch element to his stat line of this past season. Yeah, and you bring up yards after catch. And again, Eddie, I think I brought this up in last week's podcast. The type of pass catcher this team needs moving forward. They need a dude that you say, Eddie Garrison, here's the football. Make six yards become 11. Make 12 yards become 22. Make the screen pass go from zero to six yards. Who can take the football and make a play with it in their hands? So you're talking about Debo Samuel? Colts fans should walk to San Francisco to get Debo Samuel on their football team. Hell, look at George Kittle. St. Brown? The leader in yards after catch in the NFL of all wideouts is Debo Samuel. The leader in yards after catch of all tight ends is George Kittle. Like that. And where were they drafted, Eddie? Debo's a second rounder. Kittle was the second rounder too, wasn't he? George Kittle's pick 146. Oh, fifth rounder. He wasn't in the Sam Laporta second round range or even the Mark Andrews or Travis Kelsey third round. So what I'm getting at is this. Those pass catchers that can take the football and make a play with it in their hands, they come in all different shapes and sizes. Mm -hmm. They're not all 6'4", 220. They're not all 5'9", 180, running 4'3". But whether it's through power, whether it's through lateral quickness, whether it's through just like body control. I know that sounds so stupid, but it's just like you make a catch and you very quickly turn into runner and not catcher. Like, that is a difficult thing, I think, to master. And it's super innate. I don't think it's very much. I mean, obviously, Debo's got a running back background. I think there's part of that yeah. that you have. It's very difficult to kind of find, but you just see it on film. Like guys that just have that. And that, to me, is what is the missing ingredient for this skill group at pass catcher. Alec Pierce can make some plays down the field deep ball-wise. Michael Pittman can be more of a possession guy. Josh Downs can be a really good slot player. Who can take the football and you throw a low risk pass and they turn it into nice reward? That's what you got to go out and find. Final number six on your items. You can visit us at 1075thefan.com. Jonathan Taylor's future. That was answered with a contract extension. That was answered early, right? What? Three years? I guess 42 million. I guess maybe not necessarily as early. I remember uh, I was. Move, helping my parents move out of their old house into their new house. And I go, holy crap. And everyone goes, what? I said, Jonathan Taylor was just extended. They're like, really? I remember that as a Saturday. Was it a Saturday afternoon? Early afternoon? Maybe yeah. late morning, I guess it was. And yeah, three for 39. That's what I kept on targeting for the Taylor extension. It ended up being three for 42. Uh, but yeah, that got solved, obviously, after a lot of drama. But again, uh, finding the answers, Eddie. They certainly found some answers, um, but did not find all of them, and some still to be determined. Only four Twitter questions. Are you ready to get into those? Yes, sir. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20-milligram injection, you can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta. 
and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. First Twitter question comes from Eli. Who would be a better option as QB2, assuming you get them for similar prices, Gardner Minshew or Ryan Tannehill? Well, Eli, one of those is a pro bowler, so I'm assuming that price tag just went up. Uh, we know that what Minshew can do for a better and worse. Tannehill was good in both Miami and Tennessee and can scramble as well. I don't know. I just think he is a really good option. You may be able to get for a higher-end backup price. You know, Eli, it's a great question, and I think it's the difficulty in finding backups in this league. I also think there is a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that matters with finding a backup quarterback. And, Eddie, by that I mean this. How's your backup wired? Does he ruffle feathers? Does he embrace his role? What's his skill set? Does Right, but I, I, I'm getting away from on the field. Correct. Because I think when you also talk backup, there's a lot of you just hold a Microsoft Surface. You just have an earpiece in. You're just there to ask questions in a meeting room. You know, certainly there are backups that have to be relied on throughout the course of the season, and that matters. But there's also a huge chunk of it that we don't see front-facing. And is Ryan Tannehill, and I don't know Ryan Tannehill at all, but is he going to be accepting of – we didn't a lot. weren't a lot of people rubbed the wrong way about Tannehill's comments in regards to Malik Willis or uh-huh. Will Levis, and so don't be jealous and let it impact your work. You can be jealous, I guess. It's human nature to be it. Um, like Tannehill, I like that in a vacuum, but still, this guy's got to help out Anthony Richardson a whole lot. He's got to be a good sounding board for him. Um, so that is stuff that matters too. That you you really got to vet the backup quarterback. It's a big time vetting process. That's why I thought Matt Hasselbeck made so much sense for Andrew Luck. It's not that I thought Matt Hasselbeck was just this incredible backup QB. Sure, he proved to be helpful when you needed him, but I also felt like he stood for a lot of what you needed there. Um, and I do think this is something else also to point out here in regards to backup quarterback. Eddie, last week we did the exercise of mapping out how the $70 million in-house can really get spent pretty quickly. Is this a spot where you pinch money? I, I don't think it is, but like if Gardner Minshew's commanding whatever, $6 million, mm-hmm. and your other backup's going to command two and a half, I mean, $3.5 million, you tack that on to a price tag on an $8 million deal, that can be the difference in you getting an upgrade at tight end or not. You know, I, I'm just throwing out positions here. So, um, pinching a backup quarterback makes me a little nervous just with Anthony Richardson's injury and skill set. But I do think that's a question you have of like, particularly with Minchu and Moss, you know, they are on that second tier of free agent for me. Uh, do you save a little bit there to try and help you out elsewhere? Kevin, you're familiar with our program, Korean Company, where we hired various people for different positions. Sure. Oh, yeah. I need to talk with my bosses, but I think I'm going to hire Chris uh, for Director of Creative Services. Uh, This question is... So not Chris Bow, it's a different Chris. Correct. Okay, got it, got it, got it. Okay, Um, all right, hear me out. Chris has always thought the schedules have been a mess in the NFL. The Colts played Jacksonville twice in the first six weeks. You see teams playing the same team twice in three weeks. He's always thought that he could do a much better job of making out the schedule, so he emailed Roger Goodell. No. He says, no response, (laughs) dot, 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 yet. He would like to see a schedule where all league games are played weeks 3, 5, 7, 12, 14, and 16, or something very similar. 
The 17th game could be played week nine, and we have all NFC versus AFC. The talk shows would love that. What do you think? I think that's a terrific idea. Something that the NFL should adopt right there. So you are all in with Chris? Yes. Interesting. Boy, you are spot on about Chris and creative creative services or however you want to label it there. Um, I do appreciate the outside-the-box thinking with this. Um, I think scheduling is hard. I don't think people pay enough attention to that, the difficulty of it. I really enjoy nerding out after the schedule's released every year and listening to the NFL schedule makers describe some of the... um, I'm trying to think of what the Excel word would be. Complications? Uh, complications, Complexities? Sure, but like some of the things they have to insert into their system to say, you know, whatever. Taylor Swift has a concert here, so we can't play a home game in this stadium this week. Or, you know, whatever. Army-Navy's being played here, so we can't play that game then. Uh, just like those sorts of things about it. Um, I think it's really difficult to schedule fairly for 32 teams and all of that. And... I don't know. I yeah. I mean, I guess like having the divisional games all in a concentrated time period would be kind of cool. Um, I like how they've done it for Week 18. I think that makes a whole lot of sense to me. You know, you obviously get a lot of divisional impact on that, but I also kind of enjoy. And I know Chris gets into more of the mechanics of the schedule itself and less of the opponents. I do like how you pretty much know your opponents on an annual basis. You know, a few of them will change, but you know based off the divisional rotation, who your opponents are going to be. So, sure, I mean, if nothing else, I I, I guess I give Chris some credit um, for it. I I just, I don't know, maybe if I were like a pure, pure fan of it and not involved in it, I'd care more about this, but I kind of like the each week you look at the schedule and be like, all right, so what are the random games this week that I should pay attention to? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Life is full of things to manage. Your work, your family, your plans, and your treatment. Consider Kesimpta, Ofatumumab 20 milligram injection. You can take it yourself from the comfort of home. If you're ready for something different, ask your healthcare provider about Kesimpta and check out the details at kesimpta.com. Brought to you by Novartis Pharmaceuticals Corporation. Two questions left. Mason, I see the first mock draft Mel Kuyper put out has the Colts selecting Brock Bowers at pick 15. Except that's not Mel Kuyper's, is it? Uh, didn't Jan- Jeremiah had Bowers going 15? I think so. Kuyper had him going early. Yeah, Kuyper had, um, was it Keon Coleman? Yeah, we had Jordan Reed, ESPN draft analyst, on our show this morning. He said, I probably should have thrown that uh, interview into this pod. Um, he said if Bowers gets past 5 or 10, 5 is Chargers, 10 is... I forget who ten is. Look that up, Eddie. Who who is the tenth overall pick in the draft? That he thought Bowers would have a chance to get there. Okay, uh, I'll get to the question first. That being said, from Mason, he totally he is totally underwhelmed with the tight end room this year. Yes, Kylan Granson, Moali Cox, Jelani Woods, if healthy, and potentially Will Mallory are nice players. Not including Drew Ogletree in here, as he'll surely be released. More often than not, games in the NFL, NFL are won and lost by your top twenty-ish players, and I wouldn't consider any of our top any of our tight ends top half of the roster guys. In my opinion, the addition of a versatile weapon like Brock Bowers 
would be huge for the offense and Anthony Richardson's development, adding a big-time pass catcher to press the middle of the field to go along with Jonathan Taylor, Michael Pittman Jr., if he's retained, Alec Pierce, and Josh Downs. What do you say, KB? Yeah, tight end is such a good, is such a fascinating debate. You know, again, Ballard didn't really mention that at all earlier this month when he talked about you know his roster in general. Uh, you know, certainly you can lay out the final four tight ends and see where they were drafted. And um, I think the position matters. I do. Um, in an ideal world, Eddie, the investment the Colts made at tight end. I mean, the Colts have invested at tight end. Like, let's not act like they haven't. They drafted Woods in the third round. They drafted Granson in round four. You know, Mallory in five. Ogletree in six. Obviously, they've paid Ali Cox. You know, good money. I mean, that they have invested there. It's not a, you know, lack of. I, I'd be hard pressed to find how many NFL teams have drafted. You know, what four tight ends and in the last three drafts, Eddie, they've drafted four tight ends, right? And from yeah. rounds three through six. I mean, that to me, when you consider that position and the value of it, that's a pretty good investment there so um, I almost feel like in Ballard's eyes he views it more as a luxury upgrade than anything and again none of those guys are free agents now you could save money by cutting Allie Cox you could save I think it's like five million yeah that 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 would be the biggest one did you look up who the 10th pick was J-E-T-S Jets 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 boy certainly you could make some sense there again I'm a fan of taking Bowers I would I think he's a weapon. I think he's a yards-after-catch guy at a position that you don't consider that. Um, but I'm still kind of holding my breath for how much Ballard views that position. We talk about three-down running backs. He's a three-down tight end. Oh, without question. Great without blocker. Question. I mean, hell, Georgia was running jet sweeps with him. I mean, the dude dominated the SEC. I mean, dominated. I mean, think about that. The SEC. I mean, he's an alien. And he's not like he is, you know, this freakish nature, 6'7", 260, running 4'3". It's, that dude is just a hard-ass football player that just is damn good at that sport. He reminds me of George Kittle. Yeah, I, I, I could certainly see those vibes. Yeah. Uh, final Twitter question, or Twix question, comes from Walter. Hopefully the Colts can re-sign the big four. Next, go after Chase Young. I don't want to have to draft someone and wait on development. Young will require a pretty penny but we should be able to afford him. Next draft, the best wide receiver available and the first with or without a trade. Next, do the same for corner in the second. It's time to trade up, Mr. Ballard. Finally, call Atlanta and see what it would take to, uh, to get Kyle Pitts. He was in a lot of rumors this year, and for a mid-round pick, I'd make that trade. This would answer a lot of questions for us this offseason. Let me see if I can make it work on Madden first. <laughs> Keep up the work. Good work. Number one Colts podcast. Walter, thank you for that. Um, boy, Chase Young, you talk about a guy having a lot to prove in the Super Bowl. He did not look good. That effort on uh, the Jameer Gibbs touchdown run. Yikes. Yeah, there's a lot a lot to prove. Now, if you're re-signing the big four, again, that's going to eat up a ton a ton, so whatever, absorbing Chase Young or making a trade for Kyle Pitts. Uh, not sure. Let me know how the Madden operation works out <laughs> in making all of that work. I think, you know, more than anything, Eddie, it, for me it comes back to the opportune time to build with a rookie quarterback. And, again, in different ways, the Chiefs and the 49ers have put themselves in these positions because of what they did with their respective QBs. So Mahomes was drafted in 2017, right? 
they win their first Super Bowl in 2020. And if you look at that year's Super Bowl team and who made impacts for them in the game, yes, you're talking about some core guys in Chris Jones and Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey and Mahomes, but you're also talking about, hey, let's go pay Frank Clark. Let's go get Honey Badger. Yeah. I mean, you know one of the best players in that Super Bowl win over the 49ers was for him was Sammy Watkins. Yeah. I mean, that was a huge find. So, again, in a rookie contract quarterback – they made some moves that greatly, greatly helped them get to that first Super Bowl, win that first Super Bowl, and that kind of set them up now to where, oh my gosh, Mahomes is a stud, and we won't be able to pay everybody, and clearly they can't with Tyreek moving on, but we can keep Kelsey, we can keep Jones, and obviously um, it, it kind of set them up for the dynasty. San Francisco, of course, you know Brock Purdy makes nothing compared to any other QB, and if you look at it, Eddie, Christian McCaffrey at running back, D-Bill Samuel at wideout, George Kittle at tight end, Trent Williams at left tackle, Nick Bose at defensive end. <laughs> you, can, you can't forget about Brandon Ayuk either. Eric Armstead at defensive tackle, and Fred Warner at linebacker. Those I just named seven dudes at seven different positions yeah. that are the highest or very close to the highest paid players at those spots. I mean, think about that. Seven different dudes. Why are they able to do that? Because Brock Purdy makes nothing. Yeah. Like that is, and, and again, a major credit to John Lynch and company for how they've drafted. Because it's not like, of those seven, I don't think any of them were first-round picks outside of Armstead. Was Warner? No. I, I, I no. Warner was. Obviously, they traded for McCaffrey. Uh, they make the move for Trent Williams. Um, but, of course, Debo is a second-rounder. And Kittle as a fifth rounder, and I, again, I don't think Warner was. I mean, and they still, I guess Nick 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 Bosa would have been, but like Javon Hargrave. I mean, that was a big move they made this offseason as well to help their D line. Like Fred are, Warner was a third round pick. Warner was third rounder. Yeah, See, Dre Greenlaw was a fifth round pick. Yeah. So they've drafted just extraordinarily well. But again, when you have these QBs on cheap-ish contracts, whether it's Kansas City's case and making the quick splashes for a Clark or a Watkins or a Honey Badger, or if it's San Francisco's case saying, guys, we can trade for Christian McCaffrey. We can pay these guys major money because we're not paying Brock Purdy at all. That is when you make your moves. And I bring all that up to say, where are the Colts right now? They're in a position where they don't have to pay their QB major, major money. Certainly Anthony Richardson makes more money than Brock Purdy. But still, how do you go about that with your roster building? It's an unknown. It's an unknown that Chris Bauer acknowledged a a couple weeks ago. How does that look? Do you do things differently? Do you look at your four in-house guys and say, you know what, I don't know if we're going to re-sign all of them. Maybe we'll only re-sign three. We'll patchwork that other spot, and we'll go make a splash somewhere. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you can absorb a trade? You know, I brought this up a million times before. When did the Eagles trade for A.J. Brown? Hurts' rookie deal. When did Buffalo trade for Stephon Diggs? Josh Allen's rookie deal. When did Miami trade for Tyreek Hill? Tua's rookie deal. This is the time. This next kind of three-year window. It starts now. Next three years. This is your time. How are you going to react to it? Chase Young in nine games with San Francisco. Two and a half sacks. Oh, man. Gosh, with all that attention to Bosa and Armstead, you know, you'd think, or, and those other guys, you'd think you'd get opportunities. Or, or I should say better, take advantage of those opportunities. Wow. 
Eddie Garrison, do you have anything more to add? Uh, no. Everybody have a great week. Great weekend. We'll be back hopefully early next week with a pod. That is the plan. Um, all right. I will see you next week, right? I'll talk to you Friday. Talk to me Friday. That is right. I do a segment on Eddie's uh, well, very well-produced show, The Query and Company Show from noon to three. Everybody have a great week, great weekend. Thanks for uh, listening to Kevin's Corner.